the other piece of this, not just from the real estate developer side, but from the renter side. I think that the idea that we could kind of blur the lines between renting and owning is, is maybe one of the more interesting things that I hope scales out of this. Welcome to the Invest Local podcast, where we uncover the brilliance of local businesses that are slugging it out, serving their customers and giving back to their own communities. Check us out at vicinitycapital.com and give us a follow on social media. We'd love to hear from you. Also, we are not making any investment recommendations, nor are we providing any sort of investment advice. Now on with the show. Welcome, folks, to the Invest Local Podcast. I'm your host, Malcolm McDonald, and with me today is Matt McFeely. Uh, Matt is a veteran in the, the real estate world, 15 years of experience in, in real estate and in private equity, with a particular focus on community and, and impact. Good to get to know you over the past uh, little bit. I know we've worked together a little on the Chapel Project and excited to see this new project, the Union House, come together. So I appreciate you joining the show and uh, talking to us about it. Yeah, appreciate you having me. Thanks, Malcolm. So Union House, I won't, I won't give too much away. I'll let, I'll let Matt uh, tell you the full story. But the biggest thing here is, is it's the first single family homes that are specifically designed and built for communal living. So you have this really interesting hybrid between kind of what you would typically think of almost like an apartment where you've got multifamily units, but it's separated into private and communal living spaces. So I'll, I'll throw that teaser out there. It's a, it's a unique project and excited to hear you kind of explain some of the details. But before we get into that, I would love for you to just kind of cast the vision for us. Tell us, you know, how did you come up with this idea and what's your kind of big picture vision for Union House? Sure. Happy to. It's as with pretty much anything I tend to work on, it's, it's a long meandering path to, to get to kind of where we are right now. And it seems like that's just part of the process sometimes of trying things, experimenting, seeing what sticks and what doesn't, and that might not be the, the most efficient thing, but, but it's, it usually leads to interesting things. So that, that's kind of what happened with chapel that we, that we talked about on the commercial side. And then this is, this is a, a residential project that really had, I mean, it very much fits that description where bought the land. It's about an acre in downtown Greenville, South Carolina here, and tried to sell it just as lots for, for a little while. It was my partner and I, it, it wasn't meant to be anything truly creative. It was just, you know, let's, let's dip our toes in the Greenville market. It felt like it was a good place to invest. And really just a couple things fell through. We had it under contract to a builder multiple times and then COVID hit. And, and really, I, I think that, that process and now with costs uh, going just out of control. I think it just forces you to get creative with things. Mm -hmm. And, and those constraints, I think, in my experience can often lead to, to the most interesting types of projects. So that's really what happened here. We're, we're sitting here looking at, all right, we've got four lots, we subdivided, we're trying to figure out how to make the numbers work. And at the same time, do something that's good for Greenville and for really any city. I think that those constraints led to where we are now. So really the high level idea here is that we're building two single family code, something that fits in the neighborhood. The neighbors are happy with, so you can kind of sidestep some of the nimbyism of neighbors not wanting certain affordable housing or, or different types of housing. This is something that generally you look at it and say, oh, that, that looks pretty good. So nice looking single family homes, we're just utilizing them in a different way and changing the business model to make really a, what I think could be a, a really scalable infill development model. So happy to go into, in, into whatever yeah. part of that you'd like. Well, I just, I mean, 
I love that. First of all, we always say necessity is the mother of invention, but it's almost in this case, constraints were the mother of invention. It's like when one door opens, kind of forces you to, to take a different path. So that's super cool. I love the creativity. T- tell us a little bit about how those units work. It sounds like they look like single family from the outside. When you open the door, what, you know, what is it? Uh, what are you walking into? Yeah. Yeah. They, they are built again, two single family coats. So it, in places, you know, outside of Greenville, maybe maybe the zoning is not quite up to up to the modern uh, era of allowing, you know, certain densities, uh, different things like that. So, really, you can build these the the same way you build any any single family home. The builders are are building them to those same standards. So that said, within this, we we have built these are three thousand square foot homes, and they have six bedrooms and six bathrooms. So each unit has its own kind of suite within it that you can rent out by the by the bedroom and have shared communal spaces like the kitchen outdoors things like that so the way they're designed i think is really is really interesting for how that actually works and and without creating you know the experience of living in a dorm or you know that this is what i often hear back saying you know i just wouldn't want to do that or whatever that is i think you kind of can picture the student living dorm life or, you know, a a number of different things for that. But the truth is like this, this same thing is done informally throughout the country, all over the place. And it's known across the world, right? Across the world. Like think about, I mean, Greenville itself and, and really any city, someone goes and rents a house and then finds three other people, four other people <laughs> to come rent the other bedrooms. Yep. Um, and there you have a co-living. It's just that that's not a good, like the house wasn't built for that. So you walk through the den to get to the kitchen and, and, and you like the front door, you basically don't have the option to have any private time or you, you're kind of forced into the communal uh, spaces. We wanted to try to avoid that while at the same time making this a I mean, you can convert it to a standard home that you, you know, instead of having six bedrooms, you could use one as an office and one as a den or, or a movie room or, or a, <laughs> a, a gym, whatever you want, it works for that as well. So, so the way that's done is you kind of, there's almost two components to each house. And then the entrance is in the middle of that through what's the, the architecture term uh, for this is a hyphen. So it's kind of that connecting point between the two spaces. So you walk in there and you decide, do I want to go communal spaces, uh, mm. kitchen, living room, or do I want to go straight to my uh, to my suite or my bedroom? And you have that option. You only share a wall with one other person at any time. So all of these things within a simple, scalable structure uh, are meant to to make that experience a, a much a much better one. And so so you kind of you're not forcing them into a certain experience. They can kind of choose within that. Yeah, it reminds me of of the the master plan community concept where you know how towns and and cities typically get built is you know there's just kind of this amorphous adding on and then as you add on enough residential you'll need to add some more commercial and then you add some retail and throw a gas station or a, or a uh, grocery store in there versus you know, reverse engineering that and laying out the entire community and figuring out for X amount of housing, you need these offices. And, and so the, I love that idea of kind of reverse engineering the the need rather than just kind of bolting on or letting, like to your point, letting people going out and solving that problem on their own in a less than ideal manner. Reminds yeah. me of my, my Which they'll days. always do. 
Exactly. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, I mean people that's will always do that yeah. in college. That's that's exactly what I did. And, and then you run into the issue of, you know, where I think a lot of the stickiness comes is you don't have that privacy. You don't have that, you know, the, the private bathroom, because I feel like that's the one everyone manages their bathroom different. So I like the idea yeah. that they're each room has its own suite. It seems like yeah. it, it avoids a lot of the conflict. You think there's a there's a cultural element here, you know, like I said, around the world, it's really common for families and, and extended families to, to live together and, and live in community is have you found any kind of resonance there or it is does it feel when you talk to people does it feel more like the early days of airbnb where it's like oh you know i I would never live with a stranger just because they haven't you know they haven't done it before yeah it there are it it really just depends on who you're talking to I, i think there are wildly different attitudes towards this with the you know, I'd say the younger uh, generation is is obviously a lot more comfortable with with this idea mm-hmm. in in the first place. You have other co living kind of big multifamily companies out there that have scaled and done well, like Common or you know, there's there's a number of these, but it's been mostly in the in that larger project multifamily type development that that they're doing this. And so I would say. It depends. There are a lot of people, investors, other groups that have come in and been pretty interested. And then, you know, if it, it's just something like, you know, I wouldn't want my daughter living in something like that or which is fine. It's, this isn't meant to be for everybody, but it's a rapidly growing group of potential tenants, people who can't afford to be this close in and also get this type of rent. And then and really, it's just that they're doing this anyway in less than ideal spaces, different houses like we already talked about. And I think really once you understand that and the, the kind of uh, rising tide of, of needing to figure out different solutions, I, I think I think this just ends up making a lot of sense and being at least a piece of that puzzle moving forward, regardless of whether, you know, a lot of people are comfortable with it or not. Yeah. So, yeah, looking at it, at it in, in that vein, if I'm coming in from an, as, as an investor from the outside and I'm trying to put this in a bucket, you know, there's kind of the, you got the affordable housing play, you've got kind of the luxury living, or now you've got, you know, landing, which is providing kind of fully furnished uh, apartments that are way on the end of luxury and flexibility. Where does this sit? Is this something that's really kind of new entirely? Is it a different category or do you, do you find yourself competing in, in one of those already established buckets? Yeah, it's interesting. It's it's not really creating anything brand new. I think we're just putting pieces together in a slightly different way. So, I mean, this this is probably competing. Well, let me let me make sure I understand the question. Are you saying uh, in terms of when a tenant uh, or a potential tenant looks at this, are are they deciding between between a union house product and those other things that you mentioned, and who right. we're competing in that in that way? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's probably more of a price thing for, for what we're talking about. You know, like if someone can go afford their own studio apartment downtown for, you know, 2500 bucks a month or where, I mean, obviously that's a different number depending on where you live, but they're probably going to do that and, and pick the most prime location and all those things. But if they're looking for ease, something they can afford, if they are a service worker, work at a restaurant or things like that, that is downtown, there really aren't many options for being this, this close in and also having the ease of, of it being furnished and at that price point. So the change of the business model is really meant to open up the the doors to, again, being close to uh, downtown, this infill sort of development, 
and still allow to get a, a below market rent, a workforce housing style rent. And so there might be different answers for different people, but I think price and, and location and, and those things are going to be the uh, main factors there. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's great. I mean, it's, it's the pulling the, the best of multiple worlds in terms of price, availability, location. It sounds like it's, it's focusing on kind of a sweet spot that, that doesn't exist, that the elements exist out there. But in order to get the same thing, like you said, you're going to have to <laughs> find a bunch of people on Craigslist or, you know, get of your buddies in on, on the same spot. So yeah, that's really interesting. You, you mentioned the, the business model. Can you talk through the, the unit economics for a unit? No, no pun intended there. Yeah. <laughs> Good one. I like that. Yes. So I think the best way to do that is to compare these unit economics versus just renting out a standard single family home to, to one family. So you build the home, 3000 square foot home, you're probably going to have, we, we might pay a bit of a premium in the construction side because we have again, more bathrooms, things like that. But that, that is a, that's a drastically lower premium on the construction side than what you get uh, on the rental side. So if you can rent out one home to one family for $3,000 a month. Let's just use round numbers for this. By renting out six bedrooms in that same home to individuals or couples or whatever that is, you can, you can basically double that. So, I mean, that's the general idea here. And that is not at, I mean, that's at below market rents. So if you can yeah. charge someone a thousand bucks a month for that, I mean, again, that, that's how you get to the 6,000. I think that there are places where it will be a, a greater premium on the rental side, just based on, I mean, you don't want to, obviously you have to be able to make money as a developer. So these are, these are good things, but as the prices go up for construction, all, all of those things, there's a big enough gap there to where, again, this will drive money towards um, this product, this type of development and open up other doors for, you know, we can talk, I could talk all, all day about this kind of other side of it. This, this neighborhood, like basically on ramps to equity for the renters as well. That gap that we just mentioned makes this profitable enough to, to potentially share some of the upside with those renters. And, and that again, changes all of the dynamics makes, you know, potentially very good renters that are loyal, that can save while, while they're renting. So, so again, multiple different paths here for that, but, but just that change in business model of, you know, how that revenue comes in and what you can generate from it, like, again, really opens a lot of doors. Yeah, no, that's huge. So, I mean, that whenever you're able to kind of double the return on something from the way that it's typically done, always brings in the question, why isn't anybody doing this? <laughs> it seems yeah. like a no brainer. You know, we, we've touched on a little bit of that. You may have some kind of cultural or, or mental hurdles that people have to get over. Um, but obviously you wouldn't be doing this if you didn't think there was a market for it. So what, what are kind of some of the, the challenges that you've gone through to, to kind of get to where you're at today? And, and what are some of the more barriers that you think you gotta, you gotta get over to, to make this a reality? Cause the, yeah, the unit economics on it seem fabulous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, you're right about that. I mean, this has required me to bang my head against the wall for a couple of years. So I'd, I'd say that's why people, <laughs> people don't do it. <laughs> yeah. It hurts. I, I would, so a couple things, main, two main categories are the, the lending side. So working with banks and, and the, the zoning planning and zoning, different cities, municipalities that really are, I mean, I'd say that's the number one that people won't even start if they feel like it's not going to be allowed, which is wild to me, given that 
it is already happening. I don't know if this is a good analogy, but I, I often think of it as like, it's, it's the unregulated, it's like the black market is allowed in this scenario. You're, you're allowed to just go do this and they know about it and, and it's okay, but it's a worse experience. You can't regulate it at all. It's like, you know, the marijuana, instead of, instead of like legalizing it and actually having some control and making money off of it, they're just allowing, allowing it to be sold in the underground. And I feel like that's a little bit of what's happening here where they can do such, such good things with new zoning and and there really is a, a strong movement for that. I mean, Greenville, for, for example, right now, I kind of had to wait for this a bit because they are uh, redoing their zoning right now. It's 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 a new code review that is part of this long term plan, and and I really applaud them for for the work that they're doing on this on this front. Um, because before that, I mean, you have you have uh, single family zoning, which is basically you know what what it currently is, and and as that's changing, it you know, new, new uses open up. And then you have the higher density, like really high density of, of multifamily and nothing in between. This is where kind of that missing middle uh, housing comes in where it just hasn't been allowed. You have uh, both ends of the spectrum that are allowed and, and, and nothing in between. So mm -hmm. I, I would say that's one of the big ones. And then and then when you change the business model or try to do anything slightly different than the way things have always been done, banks are just often not on board. They, you got to be able to show that it works and show exactly that, that they're not taking risks that they're not aware of, which, which again, logically I, I understand, but when it comes down to it, I think, you know, I'm hopefully banging my head against the wall so other people don't have to for this. And we can kind of prove the model say, Hey, here's how it works. It does work. People will pay for it. They're renting there. No one <laughs> is, you know, whatever bad scenario you're, you're imagining can come from this. Like it, it's not happening. So all, all of those things are, are hopefully barriers that won't, won't exist for too long. Yeah. Well, no, I applaud the creativity and the persistence. I know banks and local governments, while we love them and we need them, they're not exactly known for creativity. So I, I, I imagine there's a lot of pulling and tugging and, and pushing that has to consistently yeah. happen on that front. So let's flip over back to the good side. So let's say everything works out, you know, the way you're mm -hmm. planning it. Um, and, you know, and the folks love it. There's a great need. What kind of investment life cycle are you looking to target with this project? And, you know, if, I, if I'm coming in as an investor, potentially how would the returns play out? Yeah, we are. We're looking at this as get it, get it going, rinse and repeat, do a few of these. And the ideal scenario would be to have a, a portfolio that we sell within three years. And if you look at the capital market, world, just kind of where a lot of the big money is, is flowing. These big funds and institutions are really searching for yield in lots of different ways. And this is kind of that new asset class to do that. You have the Blackstones of the world that are buying up entire neighborhoods. And so if you can present something within that space with even stronger cash flow that is generated and a scalable model a portfolio of basically what you can think of think of it as is is kind of this dispersed multifamily portfolio when you put them all together that's a very sellable asset as a portfolio so so I mean, we can talk about it as one project and that's what an investor would come, would be coming in to invest in, in this scenario, this union house here in Greenville, but it opens up the doors to those future ones as well. And, and again, the, the idea is to sell those. Um, but I mean, we have the option if, if, if everybody kind of wants to stay in and, and like the, like the cash flow that it's producing, that that's an option for sure. But the, but the current plan is to sell within that time frame. 
Gotcha. Yeah. So no, I'm glad you touched on that. And so this is the kind of, there's this single project that you're creating, but it also really, it opens the door for this to, to be, like you said, rinse and repeat to do this um, over and over again. In light of that, what, what kind of changes do you see coming to, you know, the single and multifamily housing market and, and how does this model kind of fit into that? You touched on that a little bit, but I'd love to, you know, if you might, might give us, give us a peek into the, the mind of, of Matt here in terms of, you know, what's your, your wild dream where you think this could go. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, th- this is exciting because if I'm looking at kind of what we've created right now, what we have it as an asset is our house plans that can fit on pretty much any infill lot in the United States. We have a model that makes a lot of these deals pencil for infill projects and, and really like the macro need for new solutions is incredibly strong. So you kind of put all those things together and, and on the scale, scalable side of things, you know, there are different ways we can do this, but my vision right now is to, again, prove this model, do it on the first one. That makes it a whole lot easier to talk to others about this. And rather than, I mean, real estate itself as a developer is hard to scale, you know, it's capital intensive. You have to go buy the land, go through the permitting entitlements, borrow money, like there's so many pieces of, of the puzzle there. And the traditional way is to just kind of do that slowly. And I mean, I don't have unlimited funds to go do that. So, so what I would love to do is unlock a lot of these other small developers throughout the country that maybe already have a piece of land that this would fit for or have ideas for where that could be. And, and it's, it's like a development in a box that, that we, Mm -hmm. I think about it a, a little bit like a, like a startup studio where we're doing this for this this type of development instead and helping enable educate open up doors for maybe some developers that have had trouble with a lot of the pieces whether it's finding financing or a good architect or all those you know different cats that you have to herd as a developer like we can we can help with that process and it's also less capital intensive for us to to scale so again if we could do something like that and again maybe at the same time make the real estate development world a little a little more diverse and interesting and creative and all, all of the things that it often has trouble being then i would view that as a as a really big success yeah well, I, I, it sounds like that's a whole different can of worms that we could get into, but I love the yeah. idea of, of, yeah, kind of reaching the the limit of what you can do both, you know, time, space, financially and, and saying, hey, but I've got this blueprint that that could be could be replicated and the needs out there. So enabling others to kind of carry that forward What they say, it's, it's only a movement if it goes on without you. And so yeah, I, like I love that. that idea of saying, hey, if you can, you can prove it works once, you know. Um, the possibilities for other people to run with it. Let me, let me add one thing too, just because this is the part that I might get most excited about. And and it's not that this has to be done, but, but again, kind of on the, the impact side of this. And I mentioned earlier that if you can open up the doors through having the profit there or having kind of that spread between what it costs and what you can make on this. And, and I think that the other, the other piece of this, not just from the real estate developer side, but from the renter side, I think that the idea that we could kind of blur the lines between renting and owning is, is maybe one of the more interesting things that I hope scales out of this, even if everything else fails, 
because if you can if you can create a scenario you know it, it for example it, it costs you know between six thousand and seventy five hundred bucks every time you have to turn over an apartment you know mm. just to get a new renter in that's yeah. money that you don't have to spend if you can incentivize someone to stay and be a good renter so anything that you can do to incentivize and at the same time, like in, in this scenario, let's say there's just a, an equity pool of 10% or something along those lines. And this is what we're going to experiment with this with on, on this first union house project. But like a startup equity pool, as new employees come in, you kind of vest into that pool and earn equity in the project over time. And that can then... Um, you know, you, you only get to earn it if you're a good renter, if you stick around, if you're, if you're doing these things. And so it pays for itself in lots of ways. And at the same time, they can earn either discounted rent along the way, or, you know, have a pretty meaningful chunk of equity when the thing sells. And that's a down payment for a house from that point forward. So, so anyway, that, that is, that is, again, I think it's a differentiator in terms of who will rent it in the first place, you know, competing against groups that, that are, you know, higher priced and don't have that component um, could be a pretty powerful, powerful marketing engine as well. So yeah, I wanted to at least mention that part. No, I think that's awesome. And, and it really, I love the analogy to a, a startup option pool because it's very, very analogous in the sense that you're, you're creating something new. There's a, there's potentially a much greater upside than, you know, a slow growth business. So there's the option to simultaneously have a really potentially higher return, but then also to share that wealth with the people that are helping you run this experiment essentially, which is, which is what, you know, that option pool for a, for a startup ends up being you're, you're helping people participate in the upside by taking the risk of joining early on and and helping you run the experiment of your project or your business. So yeah, yeah, I think obviously you don't have to do that, but it does incentivize both people to come in and then stay in and be invested. And, you know, we talk a lot about just like thinking like an owner. I think that's really important as an investor is to think about your investments really take ownership of them. And, and from a community aspect, you know, a lot of your investment dollars, I imagine will come from people that are close to you, close to the project, close to Greenville. So they'll be able to come and and see it and, you know, experience it. And there's something really beautiful about that, both from an investment side, but then having your renters actually become investors in the project as well, which is, it's all this, it's interconnected kind of community world that, that we get all excited about. So love that you think that way and, and are not just pushing for, high profits, but are willing to kind of leverage the risk that's there to also give upside as well and create more ownership and buy-in. I think that's really, it's really smart, but it's also really kind of a beautiful um, way to build. So, Well, ho- hopefully it becomes real and we, we don't have to, I sometimes get tired of just talking about things and I'm really excited <laughs> for, for this one to show it and, you know, tweak it and, and do all the, really be able to point towards something, something tangible there. So I'm excited Absolutely. for it. Yeah. Well, that's, that's all I had. I'm curious if there's any, anything else that you'd, you know, you want the audience to know about, about a union house or the project. It's, it's super fascinating. I've, I've enjoyed getting to dig in with you, but yeah, feel free to, to plug anything else here before we, before we wrap up. No, I think, I think we covered most of it in, in terms of anybody that would be considering, you know, I, I view it each, each investor that would, that would come in as, as kind of a, a partner in this deal and, and want them to believe in a lot of the this vision is similar to what we're trying to do for both this one project, but also the long haul and work together in, in, in those ways moving forward as well. So I'm here to answer questions. I mean, obviously I threw, I throw a lot of things out there that may sound experimental or things like that. And and yeah, there are some, but I think 
the the core features of the project are are pretty simple when it comes down to it. You build something people want, rent it. I mean, I think it's competitive in the market and it's a very sellable asset. So even from just the the real estate fundamentals, we're not really trying to reinvent the wheel for this. It just so happens that there are some interesting pieces of that of of the puzzle after that that we get to have some fun with and 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 I, I mean that's that's what we can get excited about and it can it can have that long term effect. I hope so. Um, yeah. No, that's and that's a, that's a good clarification too. I appreciate you saying that because. And, and I'm, I'm a, an ideas and experimental person, so I may take it too far, but it is, I think it is important to remember there's a, there's an asset being, being constructed here that will have inerrant value regardless of how it ends up being zoned or used. And so that, that is, I think that's part of the uniqueness of the project is you're not, you're not creating something that has a single purpose. And if that doesn't work, it's got to be torn down and <laughs> you start right, from right. scratch. So yeah, very cool. Well, thank you so much, Matt. I appreciate you coming on the show and, and sharing your story and what you're trying to build here. And we'll include links to the Union House page with the show notes. But I appreciate you coming on and, and best of luck with the build. All right. Thanks, Malcolm. Appreciate it. And there you have it. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Invest Local Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving a review. And feel free to follow us on any of our social media platforms. And don't forget to tune in next week for more local stories. <laughs>